DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. It's a football Friday. Hey, we'll have some basketball too. Who are we kidding? But there's going to be a lot of football. Really big games. I just think the BYU-Boise State game huge. Can they beat the Broncos the third straight year? Are they going to have to do it with a third string quarterback? And if so, how's that going to go? And... The youth going to USC. Always a big game after the tragic events of two weeks ago. Who can predict how this is going to go? I don't know that I could have predicted it just based on the football alone. And now, obviously, there's a lot of emotion wrapped into it as well. All right, so let's get our football started. Let's do it with Tom Homo. He joined us earlier this week. Utah, or The BYU Athletic Director joined us to talk about the Utah Football Foundation and the work they do with high school kids and why that's important to Tom, but also a lot about the move to the Big 12. Tom says some interesting things as they think big picture and how to make the transition. Here's Tom Homo with PKNI. Tom, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are you doing? Well, we're good, but we're not as good as you. Zach Wilson gets his first win. The football team cracks the top 10. You're 5-0 and with two in-state wins and three wins over the Pac-12 South. 16-1 in the last 17. Tom, you got the world at your feet right now. <laughs> good question. <laughs> Do you feel good? Do you enjoy it? Because I know you stress in the bad times. And... Anyone who knows you, when you're sitting there filming, asking fans for $20 million, there is stress. When you're scheduling games on the fly, there is stress. I wonder if you're enjoying the good times, because these well, are I, very good times. I mean, I know, I've known you two for 20 years, and uh, I think that the way we feel about it, I mean, everybody has their relative stress in their career, and I love what I do. Um, there are days that are stressful, but like right now, I think um, I, I think it was a great celebration. A lot of people had worked super hard over decades to make a lot of this stuff come true, and uh, we celebrated. Uh, and then we had to turn the page because we see what's facing us right now. So we have uh, uh, we're right in the midst of a very strong and difficult schedule and <clears throat> situations that are presenting themselves with our football team. And uh, then the, the Big 12, there's a possibility two years from now, came to true, came to light. And so we've, I mean, I really have tried to turn the page and get back to the day-to-day um, enjoyment that I feel. This is my bliss. I love, I love college athletics. I love the day-to-day. I love working with the individual athletes, the teams, and the coaches. We have a coaches meeting in about uh, half an hour and I'm fired up for it. It's going to be great. So I, I think we got to turn the page and move on to the next thing, and we'll celebrate Big 12. Uh, well, we won't celebrate it again, but we'll be in the thick of things real quick. I know you know Chris Hill very well. I can remember talking to Chris. I also remember you and I joking when you'd schedule these games that would be in the 2030s, and we'd laugh how the two of us would be wiping drool off our faces at that point. Uh, So we'll see what happens when we get there. But Chris Hill, I remember talking to him, and he was saying that when they went in the Pac-12, it felt like it was a revitalization for him personally on the job because he'd been in the WAC Mountain West for so long. And obviously you've been in the Mountain West independent so long, and now now, going forward, everything is going to be new, and you're probably already doing to some of it degree right now. Do you feel, in a sense, a revitalization as far as you personally in your job with all the excitement that's going that's happening now and is going to happen in the next couple of years? I, you know, I don't really don't know if I would call it 
the revitalization, PK, because I, I feel that um, between the transfer portal and NIL and the, the, the Constitutional Convention in the NCAA right now, you better be on your feet every day. So I think I just wake up every morning and there's a new challenge there. Um, literally, things that have, are way more intense than they've ever been. Those are things that threaten the way that NCAA, call, I shouldn't say NCAA, college athletics has played. Those are factors that are super, super important right now. So we've marshaled all our forces here at BYU. Um, the, the Big 12 uh, joining that conference was part of the plan, and it's part of this uh, equation right now. So I, I don't really think I feel revitalized. I just feel like there's a lot going on, and it's all, all pretty good. Some of it's pretty bad. <laughs> Some of it's pretty good. So this is going to be really different when you get into the Big 12 for uh, just the amount of travel going to West Virginia and, and, and UCF. Uh, the financial level you'll have to compete at will be different. How do you prepare everyone for this? I mean, some things about BYU will always be the same, but some things are about to be very different. How do you, how do you prep the whole staff for that? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Chris Hill and I had a conversation over the weekend and uh, it just was by chance, and it was a really great conversation. But we need to continue. I think I could learn a few things from how that transition came and how they did that. Because, quite frankly, we haven't done that um, in a situation where we went. Well, we did it with the, the WCC, but it, it we didn't involve football. We had independence and then the conf, our teams going into the WCC. So... I think that it'll be something that we'll all have to learn how to do it. We'll have to figure out what's right. I've been talking with the athletic directors from the Big 12 kind of casually and informally, not and nothing formally yet. But those are things that will come up soon. And I, I think that Chris Hill, who's, uh, you know, I've, I've known for many, many years, he'll be able to help me on that. I don't know if safeguarding is the right phrase to use, Tom, but what are you doing now to make sure when that time comes that you hit the ground running? Because we know Utah had a couple losing seasons in football, and basketball really hasn't taken off. They took off a little bit, uh, but then they've they've slumped. To make sure that you're in the position that the athletic uh, department is basically humming along at the pace it needs to be because where much is given, much is going to be expected going forward. I think there's a couple ideas that are we're working on right now. I think the first and most important is personnel. We have to have the right people in the right places, whether it's in the athletic department or in the coaching staffs or in the you know, player personnel with all of our different teams. And we have two years of competition to be able to work through those issues with an eye on that. It reminds me, when I, when I went to the 49ers as a coach, in 1994, they had lost to the Dallas Cowboys for two consecutive years in the NFC Championships game. They were a really good team, but they could not get past that. And they brought in um, back Ray Rhodes as defensive coordinator. And we looked at personnel in the coaching staff in all of our individual players. And the focus of attention is how 
on, in the world are we going to beat Dallas? So if your left tackle can't beat uh, offensive tackle, cannot keep the defensive end from Dallas out of the backfield, we can't beat them. It was micro strategy. And and that's all we did. Everything, every single thing we did all day was not about the NFC West. It was about beating Dallas. And I, I love the focus. I was able to experience that. And we've done that on a few occasions here, where we have certain things that we have to overcome. Goliaths we got to beat, and it's hard. You have to focus all your attention on. It. There are some things that we're looking at. Right. The second would be strategy. Once you get the right personnel. Then there is there are some strategic things that we're going to do a little bit different. They're they're just different. It's because of the scope and scale of how things are, and we have to learn those because they're not like in a book somewhere where you can just go to a checklist of things to do. And then resources is the third. That's something where we have to really pay attention and be uh, you know reallocate our resources and be able to make sure that we do the right thing when we use this, these valuable um, funds that the donors and season ticket holders and corporate sponsors uh, entrust to us. That was a thorough and detailed answer, but in my scrambled brain, Tom, all I heard was Ray Rhodes brought in Deion Sanders. I can't wait to see how Deion's going to be used when he comes to Provo. Well, you, you, that's a very good point that you made. That was one <laughs> of the things that made a difference. And, you know, we it's, we've got here playing with certain personnel and the question is, and the, the point that we, we've already started talking about is to focus your attention the, the kids we, I always believe that uh, BYU's core personnel are the student athletes high school kids from the state of Utah that are just true blue Cougar fans that from the time they grow up maybe they're legacy kids from uh their moms and dads being at the B, at BYU, and you have to have that core. We believe in that core. We've won with that core, but you have to complement it with uh, stronger and better players. So we're gonna. We, we've always had complementary players that aren't from the state that have helped us in immense ways, and so we're gonna have to do a better a, a better job. We've done a really good job, a good, better, best. We got to really pick up our. Um, focus and uh, evaluation and the ability to recruit kids to come in here and compete at the highest level. Football scheduling obviously has been so paramount for you this last decade, and now uh, it, it's going to be in a different manner in terms of how you're going to figure out which games you're going to keep with the non-conference and whether they go nine or, or eight or nine or whatever it might be conference games. I don't know that you know the answer to that. But what's going to be the criteria? You already announced the Notre Dame game, which obviously is a no-brainer as far as what you do to decide which teams you're still going to be able to schedule in the non-conference. Well, the first thing we do is we look at our contracts, and, and we have some many varying and widely different contracts with different teams. Those were contracts that took a long time to put together and schedules that took a long time to get together, and now some of those will have to unwind. So we're in the process of that right now, looking at each individual year and the games that will fit into the schedule of a Big 12, which we don't know yet. You asked that question, and it's not known yet. Nobody, right. they, they haven't determined that. But we'll, we're in that process right now. So you you look out and pick a year, and you see that, obviously, in the past, we had to find games 
in September, October, and November. Now you're probably going to have to find most of your games in September, and maybe we'll find out there may be availability for games later in the uh, schedule, later in the year in football fall. So those are things that we're working through at this point in time. The answers are coming. They're not all there yet, but we're at it every day. You probably get asked all the time about how you're going to prioritize in-state games with Utah and Utah State. I can save you some time at golf courses and grocery stores. If, if you have an answer now, you could get it out there and get people off your back. Yeah, I don't think the answer is there right now, but I think everybody has figured it out that there are possibly three or four games in given years. And you look at the contract years and where they're at, where, they, where you can be, can they move? I mean, that's one of the things that is a, a difficulty is right now, would those schools be able to move? And if you were to look at our schedule as an independent, we had a lot of flexibility because we were independent and we could move around. We didn't have conference rules about that. So you would see BYU moving games around like maybe six months in, pre, in, in advance of a season, which is unheard of. We just had flexibility to do that, and we figured it out working with ESPN and Dave Brown. But now um, you won't have as much flexibility playing within a conference. So all of those things will work themselves out in the very near future. What is your bowl situation for this season, and how could it change if the team continues as it is? We are um, contracted to play in the Independence Bowl. Um, unless we were to be invited to a, a New Year's Day, New Year's Six Bowl, or or uh, you know, something like that, so okay. that's that's a that will happen based on how we continue on with this season. Tom, you're taking a little time out to talk with us because you know you got a lot of BYU fans listening and they crave answers on all these questions. But it's also National Football Foundation, the golf tournament here. You got a lot on your plate. Why do you set aside a time for the National Football Foundation? What do you find valuable about your association with these folks? Well, it really starts back in when I was in high school, living in the San Gabriel Valley down in Southern California. And I was selected to that National Football Foundation scholar-athlete team. There's chapters all over the country. And what they do is they, they choose, um, uh, in the state of Utah, we pick about 11 or 12 players every year. And it's based on their, their leadership, their scholarship, and their athletic ability. you gotta, you got to be all state in order to be on that team. And I remember how I felt when I was um, selected to that team. I had put in a ton of work, and uh, our team had had success, and I was selected to one of those teams. And when I came to Utah and saw that they had that, it was something I felt was really important. Uh, The state of Utah, the football in the state of Utah right now for high school is very, very good. And I think that the college football teams have benefited from it tremendously. So part of it is just doing service for the high schools and and for these young men who really deserve a chance at recognition. And then the second part is that I think it builds football in the state of Utah for the colleges. And I think it builds it across the country. The National Football Foundation is an organization that honors the Hall of Fame also for college football. And BYU has um, a number. I think we have eight 
um, collegiate Hall of Fame uh, coaches and players. And it's a great organization that, that really focuses on amateur football, which has blessed the lives of so many of us. And so I'm in. I can do this. It's a little bit of time, but it's worth it. Tom, we appreciate a little bit of your time. We could keep you the rest of the hour, but we know you got stuff to do. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Get out there and have a good game out there today. There's BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo. When we come back, the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz Craig Bowlerjack. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's back-to-back Mountain West Conference opponents for the Cougars as they welcome in Boise State to Lavelle Edwards Stadium for a showdown against the Broncos. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz have played two of their four preseason games, two on the road. They'll be home for two next week. Uh, after the Wednesday night game, in Dallas, we had Bowler on. There'll be a few references to last night's game. That's what he's referencing. Uh, we had him on late in the show yesterday. We wanted to get him in here for you early risers who are wondering, how good is Butler? And where do the Jazz really stack up in the West? Here's Bowler with PK and I. Bowler, good morning. Hey, DJ PK, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm doing good, PK. You know, every time I hear the Tom Petty song, you know, I don't care if it's on radio or coming into the radio show. I just think of you. I don't know why now every time I hear a Tom Petty song, I think of P.K. Patrick Kinahan. Because I won't back down. You won't back down. <laughs> Crazy. Tom Petty. In fact, uh, his de- anniversary of his death is coming up. Died October 20th. No, really? October, October, wow. so he was born October 20th in Gainesville, and he died October 2nd, 2017. Four years Yep. Bowler, you are in Texas for a couple of exhibition games. We've seen very little of the starters. Seen very little of the subs. We've come to know the guys who come off the second unit and play big minutes. But we've seen a lot of the guys who maybe are the future, maybe are going to get let go. I assume these two games have been used to sort that out. Who might get plugged into the rotation if somebody gets hurt? Who we got to make sure we keep the right guy so we're not on the wrong, the Clippers end of the Joe Ingles uh, career moves? Oh, there's no, no, there's no doubt about that. I think you know, we'll see the, the core group began to you know, give back on the court on Monday night against New Orleans. And, of course, the Bucks will be the final preseason game on Wednesday night. Yeah, Donovan uh, was on the floor with Mike a bit in San Antonio. But uh, last night in Dallas, it was basically, as you said, uh, a group of young players that are trying to uh, formulate, uh, I think, in the minds of the coaches uh, that they can and should earn a spot on this roster. And there's a couple of guys that, can, that we continue to talk about just because – I've been impressed. I think everybody has with Jared Butler, you know, the uh, national champion out of out of Baylor, and you know, Trent Forrest and him are battling uh, for those minutes, uh, the true second unit minutes as a point guard uh, or as a two. But 
Uh, boy, Jared Butler last night was impressive. Uh, I know it's preseason. I know you're playing against some, you know, this, uh, you know, as they call it, the the second and third tier players at times. But Dallas put, you know, Jason Kidd last night. That was their first game. So Dallas put, you know, a pretty heavy group of starters on the floor last night. Luca, Porzingis, and others. And I just thought did Jared Butler looked poised, uh, and I was very impressed. I know it's only game two of a preseason, but yeah, he's got he's got a little something they call it it, and uh, I was pretty impressed with it. I'm wondering, as you just mentioned, you mentioned both positions, and basketball has morphed into more of a non-traditional, clear-cut roles. Uh, do you label him as a point guard, or he's just a modern version? Yeah, and he's a backcourt guy. You know, I think the Jazz, like every team that I talk to, they're always talking more PK, as you mentioned, about positionless basketball. So they just want to plug him in is probably the best way to put it. But, you know, obviously he's got guard skills. And, um, you know, whether it's the one or the two, I mean, he's 6'4". But, gosh, he just uh, has that. And so does Trent Forrest. Both are kind of gliders. Both are very confident with the ball. Both uh, do their thing at their own pace. And I, I sense just a ton of confidence. I mean, when we talked to Butler last week, uh, he made that very clear that, look, he's won at every level. It wasn't a cocky conversation. It was just a, a young guy who believes uh, in, in what he can do. And I think you have to have that attitude to be able to make an NBA roster. Um, he's won in high school, he's won in college, and now he'd like to be able to, to win at the, the NBA level as well. Um, I was impressed with him just on our one-on-one conversations last week during the media day. Um, you know, he took every question directly and, and talked about what he learned as a champion in, in the NCAA and the pressures that go with that and now making the transition to the NBA. So you're right. Everyone's been been talking about him. I'm curious if there are other people that have impressed that maybe haven't gotten uh, as much run, but nonetheless have made a positive impression on the coaching staff. Um, I think last night also who stood out, guys, was Elijah Hughes. Um, you know, kind of a lanky, rangy guy that had some outside shooting abilities and rebounding and can run the floor. I thought he stood out, too. Uh, in, in play last night. Uh, I don't know much about this other young kid uh, that was on the floor last night, uh, Fitz, uh, but he was able to, uh, I think, make a name for himself a little bit as well. So, you know, there's there's guys, I, I, I just can't imagine, the Jazz just can't keep their, you know, they, people are standing out. Yeah, it was Malik Fitz out of St. Mary's. Yeah, I've seen um, him play in St. Mary's, and I love this game. Yeah, he, he he's a guy that we didn't see much of and was a late sign. Uh, they, they they picked him up not only just a week plus ago, and I, I was impressed with his game too last night. So, you know, I, I think Quinn made it clear too, PK, that, um, you know, they want competition. Competition is good for a team that actually is, is loaded with the core players but as you guys mentioned coming in it's about one or two or three players that will help them in the postseason when they face small ball or just strengthen the bench overall and there's a there's two or three players that i think are are, you know vying for that and it's hard it's hard not to not hard is i know it's one game last night for fitz but uh again he's another guy that jumped out 
It's funny for me because if you look at Quinn Snyder doing his thing, uh, there's only been, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only been one rookie who's made an impact, and obviously it was a major impact in Mitchell. But even right. going back to, they, were, they weren't really true rookies, I guess you would call, in the sense of coming out of college in your first year in the league in terms of Ingles uh, and O'Neal. You know, they right. had been away and been overseas and then came. But it took them a little bit. So I, I get excited when I see a Butler because he does look like he's a player. And Fitz I watched in high, uh, college play extensively. In person, I've seen him play. Uh, but it doesn't seem like, except for Mitchell, rookies are capable of having a big impact on a team that, and it's not unusual for Quinn Snyder. I'm not singling him out, but it's more about a team that's built to win now. Right, right. No, this is why it could be one of the, you know, a terrific pick. Um, you know, there were concerns about Butler's health. That was taken care of with, uh, you know, three different doctors, one from the Jazz, one from Butler's side, and also from the NBA, and was cleared. Other teams, you know, backed away, but was uh, the Jazz took him at 40, kind of rolled the dice, and I think maybe they hit. You know, again, we'll wait and see. But I remember very well on draft night, guys, uh, you know, a lot of the you know, so-called experts <clears throat> felt like there were about three to four players uh, that were taken that were actually NBA ready. I mean, were, who could walk on the floor right now and impact the roster, and Butler's name was mentioned. Uh, so that's, that's quite a compliment, but it's, it's nothing until you get on the floor and back it up. And so far he's taken – he didn't play in the summer league. Uh, working on a contract uh, deal with the Jazz, but uh, so far he's turned heads, and I thought he's played poised, uh, confident, determined. Uh, he doesn't play like a rookie. I know that sounds like an overstatement, but for me, I you see guys who are nervous even in their second year. But man, he's picked up the system. Just seems like he belongs, and you can tell when a guy feels that way. Craig Bolajak joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. You know, as a can rebound. That is abundantly clear. 14 rebounds in 24 minutes is eye-popping. But so much is required now in the air, all these three-point shots and all that. Other parts of the game you think have progressed, other parts of the game that you think he's still got to work at. I mean, there isn't the pressure right now because Whiteside is there to pick up some Gobert minutes, but you never know how a season's going to unfold and when a guy might be needed. What do you think? Right, right. No, all good points, man. It was, uh, I, I think, again, he's behind a little bit because of the ankle injury last year. Almost lost a season, basically, and so he's kind of on a restart. Even though he jumped in late, late uh, in the season, uh, just what five months ago, but uh, you know he's still an intriguing you know uh, player with the big body as you said in a, in a vacuum to rebound. And again, is he going to step outside hit threes? No. Is he a low block guy? Possibly. Can he face a basket? I've seen it, uh, but it's just again I think it's interesting talking about two different players. It seemed to be Jared Butler being a rookie, but everything he's been through. I think obviously molds the way that he plays and the way he responds to pressure as a bookie a little bit different there still trying to find and understand what Quinn and how you roll uh, but he's to <laughs> make a great point he's got the rebounding down I mean the body allows him to do that and he seems like he's in really good position as well I mean the numbers prove that but he seems comfortable in that regard 
still want to see more of his offensive game, which um, still hasn't still hasn't popped out yet. You've been around Mitchell a little bit. Two years ago, we're done with the first round. He said it so adamantly, and they were mm-hmm. they were done with the first round. Uh, have you been able to gather any mood of him now? You know, we had a long talk with him and shoot around yesterday. Um, you know, that guy is amazing. I mean, he handles himself way beyond. I know this is another one that gets overused, but again, Donovan's in that special group of beyond his years. Uh, he always has been. Um, you know, he's thrust into a situation his rookie year, and, and that's where you get tested, tested quickly. And um, he, he continues to, I think, what, I, what I'm impressed with is how the way he discusses his, his, his approach to the game, that a good player, a great player, has to change things up and has to work on different elements each and every offseason. And, you know, this year he, he was working on, you know, knocking three down you know, off the dribble. He's, you know, done the catch and shoot. Now he wants to be able to, you know, on a dribble, pull back three. Uh, obviously wants to stay healthy, trying to work on his speed. Uh, the guy just, you know, loves the game of basketball, studies it, but also is so hungry that he's not satisfied. And that's where you start to get the elite player. Uh, you know, look, Kobe was never satisfied. Michael Jordan was never satisfied. Dwayne Wade was never satisfied. They always pushed themselves and always worked on a different part of their game. He made a lot of talk about that at shoot-around yesterday and what he was you know, working on in a very short off season. But, um, you know, hopefully the ankle's good. He says he's 100%, and we just saw him a little bit. I mean, the whole team struggled with the three. They haven't hit many threes at all in this preseason, but uh, they're just working on different aspects. And I'm excited to see Monday and Wednesday as I think Quinn starts to put this group together and turn the corner to, to, to get, ready for the pre- uh, get ready for the regular season. So the uh, general managers were surveyed anonymously, and uh-huh. they picked the Lakers to come out of the West, the Nets to win the title. The Nets, Lakers, and Bucks were the only teams that got votes to win the title. None of the other 27 did. The Jazz were picked second in the West behind the Lakers, and I'm curious if there was any acknowledgement or talk about that at all or what the uh, reaction was or just yeah, it was just another thing. It just floated away and nobody really talked about it. Yeah, not a whisper. Not a whisper, DJ. You know, that's kind of typical. I don't know if they really want to hear that. Behind closed doors, maybe a, a, you know, at the locker, they they say something. Uh, I think they were excited. I, mean, I heard more buzz just the fact that the Jazz are the number one fan base in the NBA by GMs, right? I mean, that was kind of exciting as well. And I hope Jazz fans appreciate what others think of them when it comes to noise. And the way that they, you know, support a, uh, a team, and it was well well noted too. I mean, Jazz fan base number one, pretty pretty impressive. I don't know about those picks though. I'm not sure how the Lakers hold together. PK, come on, I'm not sure how Westbrook and but ten games in, AD is going to put up with that or never touch the ball. LeBron health, age, and then what about Kyrie in Brooklyn? I mean, you can, you can miss 41 games. I mean, it's coming down to the, coming down to that, where he won't be able to play on his home floor uh, because of his um, refusal to take uh, the COVID vaccination. So, man, there's a lot of stories that have already kind of popped before really the season's even even started yet. But those are all things to watch because it's going to play a factor. 
Well, how about the philosophy of chasing the best record in the West, at least, because that's all they can do, and maybe in the NBA if that's what it ends up being. What do you think the Jazz are going to do as far as that? How much are they going to be all in for that? You know, you broke up at the the front end, all in on... The best record, regular season record. I'm wondering what's going to be their desire, you know, because it doesn't... Not that it doesn't mean anything. It just yeah. doesn't guarantee anything. It's very true. You know, a lot of teams, and I think as you get, we've seen a lot of older, you know, players get older and age. They they rest. They focus only on the on the postseason. I asked Clarkson that last week in, on media day, and, you know, he was, gosh, man, he was so pri- proudful, pride of the pride that the Jazz had in having and owning of the best record in the NBA. And he said, you know what? A lot of people say, ah, it doesn't matter because it does to me. Because what it does is it prepares you for the postseason. And, you know, just different players have a different perspective. But for Clarkson, you know, he was very, he was very excited that the Jazz owned it. He said, you know, you can't live in what is, But they knew they were good. Uh, and obviously disappointed when the injuries popped and hit both Donovan and Michael, you know, Mike Conley. But, uh, he's that type of guy who says, look, we can't look back, but he thought it was a good thing to prepare them for postseason play. I, I think if you ask the question to another player, they would say, well, it was a good thing. Uh, it was, it, you know, put us in a good position, but at the same time, did it wear them out? I don't know if those injuries were, you know, related to a 52-win season. I don't know, but um, you know, I, you watch these guys on a daily basis. They take care of themselves. I mean, that's what part of this game is about: is the body uh, and knowing, and a little rest here and there. But uh, you know, I thought last year was exciting, and it showed how dominant the Jazz can be. But also, it showed their vulnerabilities, and that's what the Jazz try to plug in and fix in the off season. Bowler, as always, we appreciate a little bit of time. We will talk to you again next week. A couple more preseason games coming up, and then it'll be the real deal. All right, guys. Thanks. PK, Tom Petty, Ross. All right. Yeah, yeah. I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. Awesome. Petty. <laughs> See you, guys. Here's Craig Bowler, Jack, TV voice of the Jazz. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. He joins us next to sort out all the craziness in the AFC West, the NFC West, and certainly in the Pac-12. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes look to pick up their first ever win in the Coliseum as they hit the road to square off against the Trojans of USC. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 5 o'clock with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He's on Smart Rain Guest Line. 
Utah being a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best Estate Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Lincoln, good morning. DJ PK, it's LK all day. How you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, since you've got uh, one foot in the college football world uh, at the Pac-12 Network, and you got one foot in the pro football world doing the Raider games, what is it about this side of the country, and what will be crazier when it's all said and done, the AFC West, the NFC West, or the Pac-12? <laughs> um, probably a little bit of all, depending on how you look at it. They'd, Again, you know, we, we've been together for years now, and, and we talked about national recognition when it comes to college football and how the Pac-12 lacks respect. However, I think you guys agree with me in, in, in a sense where you it, it, you appreciate the competitiveness of the conference, the fact that they have to play nine games. Um, it really, you know, is a real round robin when it comes to divisional or conference play. So it's anyone's game. Uh, I think the South is up in the air. I think... Utah is good enough to beat SC if they can contain their sl- uh, contain their scoring and not turn over the ball as much as they did uh, at Wazoo, and that would be the first time what Utah's beaten SC in LA if possible if yes. that happens. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, just to, you know, name a few things there. But um, as far as the, in the, the North is just involved, you might even see the Beavers pull it out the way as strong and consistent they looked last week when I did their game against Washington. But you know, when it comes to the pro game. You know, this is not necessarily unusual. I think parity is still a part of the NFL, as it always has been. It's going to show more so when you talk about those two particular divisions, because I believe that the NFC West and the AFC West are two divisions with capable enough teams to just beat up on each other. And they'll be lucky if they can split the divisional games. And it's highly unlikely anybody's going to go through it unscathed. Um, you know, right now the Broncos haven't played anybody in division, so even though they have their first loss, and the Chargers set up top taking care of the Raiders and the Chiefs, and you know potentially what the Chiefs can do. So they're not going to be down for long, or they'll try to figure out the form of the why. So I, I think it's really some competitive divisions and some good football. It'll be good fodder to talk about. I was disappointed with the Raiders' performance on, on Monday, and we know they're not a good running team, but I thought, you know, they, they really just, I don't know if bottomed out is the right phrase. So my thought for you as an old offensive lineman, maybe a combination, multiple choice question, is it of lack of talent up front or in the backfield? Neither. What it is is a lack of cohesiveness and consistency. You have to remember, when it comes to the Raiders, uh, you know, a lot of people have been, including myself, have been critical of the lack of run game. But to be fair, you know, they came into the season expecting Denzel to be playing right guard, Richie Incognito to be playing left guard, and Andre James, who's you know a new starter, to to be protected by two veteran players. Well, that's not the case. Matter of fact, they just signed Jermaine Illuminor to the starting right guard now at the end of uh, at the end of training camp preseason. So you know he's had only a little bit of time to get uh, you know into it and involved with the offense or know the offense as well as say uh, Denzel Good, who's been here for uh, been with the Raiders for a couple of years, and of course then you have John Simpson on the other side, which is a developmental player that they've been working on since they drafted him out of Clemson. So there's inconsistencies in the front mainly, and also the fact that you just drafted a rookie right tackle. So there, there's a learning curve for uh, rookies that come into this league, no matter what position you play. With that being said, you know, you quantify that by not having Jacobs for the last three weeks, and now you get him the one game, and they made an effort and, and to try to get him established. But I'm of the mindset that certain guys do things a lot, sometimes better than others. For example, 
Kenyon Drake is a different running back than Peyton Barber is a different running back than Josh Jacobs. And schematic-wise, I think it's up to Gruden and, and Coach Cable, the run game uh, coach, to sit figure out when we have whichever number in the backfield, there are runs that are conducive to their strengths, and those are the ones that we have to call and get good at, rather than trying to throw every run at the same running back. It just doesn't work that way. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. Um, are they just going to evolve then? And how much as all these seasons get longer, should we really reserve judgment in September and early October because these seasons are long and teams are going to evolve? I would say going forward, because it's sort of been established over the past uh, eight, nine years, maybe maybe even the last decade, you can consider, that the real preseason is the first month of the season for football teams because they're really not doing much or, or trying to do much in the preseason. They just don't want to run the risk. So the real season, the, the real preseason or exhibition style comes from the first month of football. Now, it's a very dangerous game. If you start off in the hole 0-4, then you have to spend that much more time climbing out, obviously. But you really don't know who you will have until you play someone. And I've been critical of the Raiders the entire preseason because they didn't play anybody in the preseason. And then they, they say they're saving them for the first game. You come out after the first game, and you finally you beat Baltimore in overtime, but you have 17 guys on the injured reserve, injury, injury list the next day, you know, the post game and, and the Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, where are you without? Where are you? You lost two good players in Jeremy McCoy and Denzel Good. First game of the season. They're on IR done for the season. Richie Incognito has yet to play, and it's been, you know, they've, not, they've had him on IR now, so he can't quite come back to play for a couple of weeks. So all that being said, where are you? Are you better now after not skipping preseason or not getting that type of conditioning, or are you worse off because you're still trying to find your way? I know that's a mouthful, but the fact is that the Raiders are 3-1, and one, and if you would have come into the season looking at that first month of football and say you can be 3-1 after it, I know they would have taken it. It's Justin Herbert big time because he looks it to me, but I'm an untrained eye. <laughs> he is big time. You know, you think about the job that he did stepping in for Tyrod Taylor last year after the, the sort of medical mishap against the Chiefs and growing throughout the season. And I thought the Chargers record, the Chargers team was better than their actual record last year. They just mismanaged a lot of games. Uh, Herbert, if there's if there's one criticism, and it's it was kind of seen in the Monday night game, if there's one criticism or one thing that he needs to get better on, it's his touch on the long ball. Um, He doesn't really have, he really doesn't put an arc on the long ball. There were three missed throws that if he would have connected would have just, you know, really put the Chargers over top, even more so than they were. Uh, But, you know, he still has to learn that touch on that long ball. And I think he'll get it. It'll come in time. But for the most part, He's got enough weapons behind him. There's sound offensive system. The fact that he can use his legs when it comes down to it, this is a, this is a very good football team in the Chargers. So this uh, chief defense has given up 31 points a game, which is a stunning and staggering number. Should I think they're going to evolve and this is just the preseason for them and Andy Reid and his staff will get that figured out or this is going to be a major problem? I'm one of the minorities that believe in that there is a such thing as a, a Super Bowl hangover. Now, the Chiefs have gone to the last two Super Bowls having won one. And, and it's hard, as you guys know, it's, it's hardly been done in, in league history to go to three straight Super Bowls. With that being said, I think the Chiefs' number is up for this year. I think the teams and the parity have somewhat closed the gap to where it's not going to be even where they're just going to walk away with the division. There's going to be a challenge you know, for this division, uh, this division title, let alone in the playoffs. 
more importantly, there are a lot of teams that have gotten better. I mean, look at Buffalo. You know, you, we just talked about the Chargers, just to name a few. I, have to, I think the Raiders and the Chargers, it's going to come down to the final game of the regular season in January for the division title. That's kind of what I'm projecting, that the winner win, wins that and takes it all. So, um, with that being said, I think the AFC has closed this gap a little bit. I still think the Chiefs are capable. Obviously, with those offensive weapons, you can't count them out. But more and more teams are becoming a build, are having the ability to score touchdowns rather than just settle for field goals. And that is what ultimately challenges the Chiefs. Their defense is porous. This defense has been you know, not as great for many years now. But the fact is, is that people haven't always been able to score touchdowns. Now they can, and that's what's going to make the, the competition close the gap a little bit more on the Chiefs. As far as the Pac-12, particularly the South, maybe even the North, I'm not buying anybody, and at the same time, I'm not. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna rule out Arizona and Colorado, and even SC right. with two losses. Obviously, they can't afford another one, so they may have to win out, right. and that might be too difficult. But it's check with me Saturday night each week, and I'll give you my updated yeah. opinion. I don't know that I can make any declarations about whichever team at this point. Mm. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think SC is not going to win out. I, as I said a moment ago, I think Utah has a great chance to, to get them if they can limit the mistakes and just play within themselves. Because I still think they have a tremendous formula for success. But, you know, UCLA has shown some improvement and shown times where if you can't stop the running game, then it can be a long night for you. Um, ASU is – I haven't seen ASU play a consistent game yet this season, and I don't know if they'll get it together. They do have some, you know, some power and potentially dangerous, but they have to play a consistent game. As far as the North, the North is in turmoil. I think Stanford has found a way to, to, to right the ship even to see how they come back after their injuries. Oregon is still capable, but they need better play out of Brown, their quarterback. He's not reading his progressions, in my opinion, and, he, and I, I think that he's not necessarily uh, comfortable with throwing down the field or trusting the receivers to throw down the field to really stretch that, the opposing defenses, and they can only rely on the run game so much. Oregon State has a, has a favorable schedule now that they've beaten uh, SC and, and, uh, and they've beaten Washington. Washington is now still trying to figure out their coaching issues, but you know they, everything is really up in the air. And, and, and there's going to be teams that are going to beat, get a hold of them, or you know get the best of them. No one could expect Wazoo would beat Cal at Cal, but it happens. Oregon State has won four in a row, and I know Hawaii and Idaho at home they're supposed to win, but SC and right. Washington. I mean, how far are they going to stretch yeah. this out? Now it's three of those four games are at home, and two, you know, they're highly favored in. So I don't want to get too crazy here, but it's fun to watch Cinderella win, and Oregon State qualifies as Cinderella. Those are big wins for Oregon State. You know, there's no way, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. The fact that they hadn't beaten Washington in what, I think it was 11 years, they conquered that. The fact that they hadn't beaten the SC in LA since 1960, I mean, they got over that. Those are big wins for the program, and it's it's a motivating factor that's going to take the program far. Look, their secondary is some guys are some guys that are going to be playing in the National Football League on Sunday. Um, they've got some good players on that team, and they've got a good formula with their dual backs that if they can just remain consistent and one of the better offensive line coaches in all of college football, if they can just remain consistent and limit the amount of turnovers, that's a good football team, especially in the North. And I think they can challenge just about anybody. They've already proven that they have. They can challenge anybody. Uh, but I think they're capable of playing with everyone uh, on the rest of their schedule. So you've played at all levels at the highest level, and this Urban Meyer thing has been a big story here nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I don't really know what to make of it. Obviously, it's not a good look. But if they're 4-0, is it not as bad a look? <laughs> so are we combining that stuff at the bar or restaurant the other night? Is And it's his personal life, and you know, obviously I wouldn't condone it by any stretch. But nevertheless, he's not breaking any laws. And then we hear these guys, well, he has no respect to the locker room and all. And I'm wondering, well, wait a second, these guys are 0-4, so do we have respect for them? What do you just make of the whole situation as far as his ability to get what he wants accomplished done in Jacksonville? You know, to me, there are guys who are cut out for certain levels, and they're just good at what they do at that level. Nick Saban is a better college football coach than he was a pro coach. Same can be said in many ways about Harbaugh and Michigan. I think there are guys that, you know, they're kind of deemed like control freaks. Chip Kelly is another one. Control freaks need to have their way of controlling things, their surroundings, and their way. It's not the same when a college coach goes up to the next level. Because a lot of those veterans, you know, when you come into a locker room and you're just like, hey, guys, I want you to buy in. I want you to support me. I want you to follow me. I'm going to lead you to promised land. When it's all said and done, athletes on a professional level just want to win. They don't care who does it. They just want to win. There was so much hype coming into Trevor Lawrence. There was so much hype coming into Urban Meyer that you had a ton of people who were buying in excited. And to me, the Jacksonville Jaguars weren't a bad football team the last couple of years. They were just a quarterback away of really making an impact or making a statement, and, and especially in that division. And they are supposed to have their their dream quarterback, Sunshine, if you will, from a member of the Titans. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be that answer, and Urban Meyer was supposed to be that answer, and hasn't turned out to be that way. And now you have this little, you know, off the field incident. And I say little because it is it is you know personal business. Shouldn't be blown out of proportion the way it has been, but the fact that you have a big name, you also have a big program that has an opening at SC, and everyone is speculating that Urban Meyer or someone like that magnitude is going to go and take that job. When you see this sort of get out and kind of carry it, it creates an opinion, and it's not necessarily a favorable opinion when people are looking at him. So I don't know if he's lost the locker room. I've seen uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the Jaguars games that it's not that they you know haven't played hard at times. It's just they they've been out schemed and just been beaten, which happens. So um, they're not really sure how far this thing is going to run, but it's unfortunate nonetheless. And you would think you would think that someone who's been around and been around various big programs and had its fair share of scandals kind of follow him that he'd be more mindful, even though it was at his own club still be more mindful of the possibility uh, that, that we're trying to express to the younger generation to try to stay clear of and be mindful of when they're off the field. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, every week, DJ, PK, and LK. LK, we'll talk to you again there next you week. Go. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. There's Lincoln Kennedy. He joins us every week. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.